Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder... Some devastating events have unforeseen silver linings. And while these positive changes will never make up for the human loss, they do offer some closure and resolve that, hopefully, something so tragic will never happen again. On July 10th, 1952, a man was born who would go on a massacre in a church filled with teenagers. And while nothing makes up for the seven lives he took, the city of Fort Worth, Texas, did what they could to assure that something so devastating never happened again. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On September 15, 1999, over 150 teens and a number of chaperones gathered at Wedgwood Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas to attend a See You at the Pole rally. Christian rock group 40 Days was performing as well, so the event drew quite the crowd of young people from several different churches in the area. As the teens gathered in the sanctuary, at around 7 p.m., a man dressed in all black interrupted the prayer rally by loudly slamming his hands on the door to make sure that everyone turned their eyes towards him. When he was sure that all eyes were on him, he pulled out a 9mm semi-automatic handgun and a 380 and opened fire. When the killer burst in, 38-year-old Kevin Gailey was standing in the hallway leading into the sanctuary. As he stood there, he heard five gunshots, rushed to where the kids were congregating, 
and came face to face with the gunman, Larry Jean Ashbrook. Larry, a 47-year-old man born July 10, 1952, fired his weapon at Kevin's chest, and the man, filled with adrenaline and fear, stepped between the gunman and two women before sustaining another shot to his pelvis. According to his later reports, Kevin had no idea he'd been so severely injured during the attack. In fact, he thought that Larry was an actor hired by the church for a skit and that he'd been hit with paintballs and not bullets. That the blood oozing from his side was simply paint. Then Larry dropped a clip on the ground and one look at it told Kevin that this was not a skit and that he and everyone else in the church were in serious danger. It was then that he opened up the sanctuary door and started firing at the kids. While he continued his attack, shooting his weapon and detonating a homemade pipe bomb, Larry began screaming anti-Baptist rhetoric. And when he yelled out that, quote, this religion is bullshit, he was confronted by a 19-year-old football player named Jeremiah Neitz, who tried to engage the man in conversation in order to stop the attack. Jeremy told the stranger, sir, you don't have to be doing this. And when he asked his religion, Jeremy answered that he was a Christian. Larry responded, that sucks, and explained that it was a stupid religion before pulling back the trigger several more times. The boy continued to try and talk the gunman off the ledge before Larry finally told him to fuck off and I can't believe you believe in this junk. He then sat down, grabbed one of his weapons, and turned it on himself. When the dust settled on the worst mass murder in the city's history, seven people were killed three received major injuries, and four more were minorly injured. Those dead were Christy Beckel, 14, Sean C. Brown, 23, Sidney R. Browning, 36, Joseph D. Ennis, 14, Cassandra Griffin, 14, Susan Kimberly Jones, 23, and Justin Stegner Ray, 17. And those injured were Robert DeBoard, 17, Justin Laird, 16, Kevin Gailey, 38, Nicholas Skinner, 14, Jeff Laster, 34, Janine Brown, 41, and Mary Beth Talley, 17. When police began their investigation into the crime, they found that two people inside of the sanctuary just so happened to be filming when Larry Ashbrook walked in and opened fire. On it, they could see the close to 200 people inside of the church making attempts to run and hide as the sounds of gunshot interrupted their rally. Also seen is the deadly man coldly pacing back and forth throughout the room, methodically choosing his next victim, reloading his weapon several times and firing shot after shot after shot. He didn't look crazed and he wasn't panicked. He simply looked as though he had a job to do and was making sure it got done. One of the cameramen who caught the footage was 17-year-old senior Justin Ray, one of the victims who perished that night in the church. A church that, according to police, was not one you would come across by accident, meaning Larry specifically targeted this building for one reason or another after passing a number of other churches along the way. It was also a church where, days after the shooting, the congregation had the bloody carpet and pews removed and let the surviving teens tag the sanctuary where many of them lost friends and loved ones allowing them to write or draw anything they wanted as a means to cope with the tragedy that they had witnessed. One girl, just seven years old, told her parents that she was too scared to go back to Wedgwood. They insisted and she agreed, but only, quote, if I can wear my tennis shoes in case I have to run again. 
While all of the victims did what they needed to try and move on with their lives, local police worked to try and find the motive for the shooting attack. According to the journals found in Larry Ashbrook's home, he had grown increasingly angry and depressed over the last year or so, having difficulty finding and keeping a job. He was, according to officials, a troubled man and a social outcast who thought the shooting might quiet whatever demons he had brewing inside of him. He never married, had no children, and had strange habits that led to his elderly neighbors retreating to their homes whenever they saw him. When his mother died nine years before, his violent and erratic behavior seemed to worsen, and his father, whom he lived with after his mother's passing, died just two months before the Wedgwood shooting. A man whom neighbors saw, Crazy Larry, pushed down and abused on a number of occasions, but failed to report out of fear of retaliation. He destroyed the inside of his father's home with crowbars, filled the toilets with concrete, and, according to investigators, poisoned the fruit trees growing in the front yard. Just nine days before the shooting, Larry wrote two letters to the editor of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, complaining about the CIA, psychological warfare, assaults by his co-workers, and claims that he was being drugged by local police and that they suspected him of being a serial killer. Even coming by the offices and visiting with the city editor, Stephen Kay, who described Larry as an extremely nice man who in no way set off any red flags. He told Stephen that he was being targeted by police, framed as a serial killer, but promised that he was innocent, saying that he wanted to tell someone his story, but no one would listen to him. Despite all of this, police could not find a concrete motive for the crime. Yes, he seemed to be losing touch with reality. And yes, he was growing increasingly more paranoid over the last few months. But nothing explained his target on Wedgwood Church, on religion, or on the children inside. Though, according to a local writer, Larry had ties with the Phineas priesthood and Christian identity, both of which view mainstream Christianity as the enemy, meaning that his target of Wedgwood could have simply been explained by its See You at the Pole rally, a day for celebrating Christianity. But in the end, all of this is speculation and a true motive will probably never be known. The Fort Worth shooting came just five months after those that took place at Columbine High School after which city officials and police leaders met to speak about preventing such a tragedy from happening in their hometown. They left the meeting feeling pretty prepared, but knowing that there was very little that they could do in an active shooting situation. A fact that was proven just a few months later when Larry Ashbrook walked into Wedgwood Baptist Church. They met a second time after their own shooting and created the mental health connection of Tarrant County, which made it easier for residents to access mental health services that may have helped Larry, whose family thought he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. They also created the no wrong door policy with mental health providers, which meant that all agencies worked together to get people the help they needed, no matter what group they came to first. They received more than $50 million in grants and have made a huge difference in their community. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on July 11th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.